May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Oxford University Christian Union recently had a mission week. They publicised it with a series of posters using the catchline, This is... This is colour. This is life. This is salvation. All leading up to the denouement, this is Jesus, printed on the front of a gospel. However, in one of the colleges, a counter-series of posters appeared, featuring photos of people accompanied by the slogan, This is an atheist. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debate. This little poster war represents the assertion and counter-assertion dominating the exchange between Christians and atheists. And I find myself frustrated by both sides. Atheists tend to assume that Christians are totally irrational, while Christians often respond by simply thrusting a Bible into your hand. It seems like an intractable opposition, but I suspect that these opponents' positions have a shared origin, one that we must go beyond if we are to reclaim faith from the faithless or the fanatical. In his important book At the Origins of Modern Atheism, Michael Buckley writes that every atheism is a rejection of a particular theism. He suggests that at the dawn of the modern era, something changes in how we think we can know God. To meet the challenge of the new atheists of their time, the early modern theologians look towards philosophy to justify belief in God. Rather than knowing God by starting with what is revealed in Scripture, theologians suggest that evidence for God's existence must first be obtained from philosophy. For instance, the argument from design, a famous example of which is William Paley's analogy of a watch found on a beach, from which one can deduce, naturally, the existence of a watchmaker. At the same time, faith is relegated, like a third-rate football team facing administration. Faith is reduced to being about what is not certain, and then reduced to being some sort of crazy affirmation in the face of all reason, a form of irrationality. A dichotomy arises that we inherit. Christians keep on trying to prove that belief in God is rational, and atheists keep on denying the provability of God insisting that belief in God must therefore be irrational. You see this again and again, in attempts to prove the rationality of Scripture, with the attempt to prove miracles, or to establish historical proof by archaeology or textual analysis. We now realise, of course, that this whole attempt to secure the foundations of faith as certain, absolutely certain, was a doomed enterprise. Most of us get a little nervous now when Christians seem to want certainty in their religion. But pointing to this failure to rationally secure the foundations of faith, the new atheists think that the battle is won. 
that faith must be irrational, flying in the face of good sense and sound science. Where does this leave us then? If we can't secure the foundations of belief absolutely by reason, is faith totally irrational? Christians seem to be left struggling to articulate how belief in God and faith in Jesus Christ is not irrational. We are left struggling to articulate how our faith, which has its origins in a pre-scientific worldview, is compatible with modern ways of understanding the natural world. One response to this situation is to ditch the metaphysics of belief, the reality of God, and simply hold on to an ethical Jesus. We get rid of all the irrational belief stuff involving God and simply say that Jesus, he was a good bloke. We can learn a lot from his very fine example. The populist philosopher Alain de Botton has recently given this view a new set of clothes by suggesting that the practices of religion, like pilgrimage or singing together, are too important to abandon to merely the religious. Christianity is useful, helpful, as an ethical guide or a cultural lens. But please, let's forget all this irrational God stuff. However, Alistair McIntyre's scathing critique of 20th century ethics shows us that without the claims about truth that the language of God gives us, our ethical claims become nothing more than cloaks for our individual preferences, helpful insofar as they agree with what we already think, and, well, abandoned when they differ. Jesus is a good bloke until he demands a bit too much of us. But this is not the only way. The early modern theologians thought that it was important to establish the existence of God before turning to Scripture. This was their great mistake. And so to get back behind that mistake, we need to return to the God revealed to us through our Scriptures. However, we can't simply return to our Scriptures naively, for that would be to turn our backs on everything we've learned over the last several centuries. Instead, we need to learn to read Scripture spiritually or theologically. We need to resist imagining the Gospel writers as historians, as if they understood the same thing as we do by reporting history. Rather, the Gospel writers are bearing witness to something, something that has transformed their lives. They're inviting us to be transformed, to change the way we understand ourselves and God. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday before Lent, and our readings give us stories of ascending mountains and of theophanies, of God's self-revelation. To read these stories spiritually is not to worry too much about their historical accuracy, to think that they must either match our understanding of the natural world or be rejected as pernicious lies. It is enough, I think, to affirm that the stories have their origin in the religious experience of real people. Beyond that, who cares? Because what is interesting is what they're trying to convey. The question is 
What are the spiritual or the theological significance of these stories? Stories of mountaintop experiences of God have traditionally been read spiritually as conveying the truth that we cannot think our own way to God by some sort of intellectual assent. We can't rationally prove God's existence as an absolute certainty. In our Old Testament reading, Elijah listens for God in the forces of nature, sort of primitive natural theology, but he does not find God there. He has to wait, for it is only in the sound of sheer silence that God reveals himself, beyond our own intellectual endeavours. The theophany, the unveiling of God on the mountaintop, signifies that our knowledge of God comes through what we end up calling revelation. It is given, unveiled. To read the Gospels as a whole, spiritually or theologically, is to read them with an eye to what they are saying about the nature of God. The Gospel writers give their accounts not... They give their accounts as testimonies to God as known through Jesus Christ. And the spiritual heart of the Gospels, their fundamental theological insight, if you like, is placed by the Gospel writers in the very mouth of God. This is my beloved Son. Faith is a claim about Jesus' identity. The Gospels are trying to convey, by means of heightened imagery, analogies, and stories. This fundamental truth upon which Christianity is based, that the life and death of Jesus reveal that what it means to be a human being and what it means to be God is to be in a certain kind of relationship. The life and death of Jesus show us a human life which has lived totally beyond itself, in love. It shows us a person whose identity is defined by his relationships with others. To recognise this as divine is to say that God is love. Like, say, the love between a father and a son. But that God is also the very force or spirit of that love, generating new possibilities for its expression. God is a reciprocal relationship of love and a relationship that we are invited to share in, to live in. Faith, then, far from being irrational absurdism, is a statement about the intelligibility of a certain kind of relationship, reciprocal love. Faith is a commitment to the ultimacy of love as it is manifest in the life and death of Jesus. And faith in Jesus as God's beloved Son is an affirmation that within history and human experience is given to us something that we could never have reasoned our way towards. The revelation of God as love and love as God. Amen.